I heard a story uh, about uh, this church that was having a 50th year reunion. And so a bunch of the old time members, people that had come to the church and left, they were coming back to celebrate 50 years of this church's involvement in the community. And and there was one particular gentleman who had uh, had gone to the church as a little boy and had left and gone on and had made himself a fortune, multimillionaire, and he made his way back. And so they were, the people had gathered together and they were reminiscing about the church and different people. They were just having kind of a, having a little potluck time. And, and all of a sudden this guy feels the urge to stand up and just, you know, tell the people kind of what happened in his life. And he said, you know, when I was a little boy, so when I was a little boy, I had one dollar. He said, I came to church, and it was all that I had. There was a missionary there that Sunday, and he was talking about the great needs in the mission field, and I wrestled inside, and I decided, you know, I'll go ahead, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give God my all. I'm going to give him my one dollar. And so he put a one dollar bill, and he said, you know, I believe that I am where I am today because I gave God my all when I was a little boy. All of a sudden, from the back, Sister Bertie yells out, I dare you, do it again! All right. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. I'll work on it next week, all right? All right. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 41 through 44 this morning. We're going to talk about this is what we do, being all in for God. The first week in our series, we talked about the foundation of our generosity. We talked about tithing. The second week, last week, Pastor Joel talked about the faith of our generosity and that our lives, we're giving God our lives, we're, we're serving to make a difference. This week, I want to talk to you about the fact of our generosity, that we are all in with our money. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning with verse number 41. And the Bible says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd. Everyone say, watch the crowd. Jesus liked to watch people. Putting their money into the temple treasury. Many people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put everything, all, everyone say all, all she had to live in, all she had to live in. I want to talk to you on this one idea this morning, all in, all in. Can we take just a moment and pray today? There are many people still missing in California. There are confirmed 76 deaths, 12,000 homes and businesses that have been demolished by this fire. And as a congregation, we want to just pray. We want to do something tangible here. We have a, a partnering church, City Church of Ventura. That's their pastor, Jude Fuquay Pastors, and we've been in contact with them this week. But will you join with me as we pray for local churches and first responders and the families in that community? Father, we thank you today for your grace. We are just so grateful for the presence and the reality of who you are to us We've already experienced just a tangible sense of your love, a token, an expression of who you are by the presence of your spirit as we've worshiped you. Now, Lord, as a church family and congregation, we recognize that there is great suffering and there is great loss and great tragedy in many places around the world. But right here in our own nation, God, in California, there's just been 
utter devastation. The fire that's beyond belief, God, and, and families have lost loved ones, and still so many are displaced and missing. And we just pray, Lord. We pray for these families to be reunited. We, we pray, God, for the local churches and the first responders in those communities. God, they're exhausted and tired as they've given. And we pray for, for reinforcements. We pray for grace and strength to continue to minister and to continue to serve in those communities. We love you, Jesus. Now I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you'll give them a spiritual ear to hear and an eye to see. Help me to communicate one more time the truth of who you are. God, as we make a decision today to be all in for you and your wonderful and mighty and powerful name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. On my wrist, I wear a Fitbit. Now, I got to tell you something about this Fitbit. I don't necessarily like the Fitbit. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the Fitbit. I don't, you know, it doesn't talk to me. I can't push it, and it doesn't have apps and functions, and uh, doesn't send me texts. But I do love the Fitbit. I don't like it necessarily, but I love what it helps me do in my life. The reason that I wear this Fitbit is because I am in a community of other people who wear Fitbits, and there's a number of us, we kind of, sort of, not really, kind of, we do, compete against each other on a daily and weekly basis to see who gets the most steps. Now, i got about 20 people in my group, and there's probably four or five of us that generally we tend to kind of float to the top, and uh, my, uh, I, since I was a little boy, any kind of sporting event, I've always wanted to win, and, and I, hate to, I hate to not to be at the top of the list. I just hate it. And so the other day, I, I, you know, I, so I got the app on my phone, and I can see, like, not just the day, but I can see, the, you know, for the week how many steps and where everybody's at. And the other day, I, I was at 103,500 and some steps for the week. That's a lot of steps. That's over. My goal is 12,000 steps a day, do a little exercise in the morning, get some steps there, walk around, do all the stuff I do. So my goal is to get 12,000 to keep moving. Everyone say, keep moving. Just got to keep moving. So I keep moving. And, and so the, this week, this was like two weeks ago, I'm like at 15,000 a day. And I'm crushing the Fitbit. Like I'm Fitbit king for the week, you know. I'm at the top of the chart. I'm feeling good about my life. But there's this girl. I've never met her before. Her name is Cynthia F. Cynthia F. lives in California. It's not even fair. She's three hours behind. It's like she gets an extra three hours every day to beat me, you know. And so this particular day, I'm number two. Now, here's the deal. I'm at 103,500. Cynthia F. is at 103,600. It's 1042 at night, and I'm getting ready to lay down in bed. And I look at my app. And all of a sudden, something inside of me said, no way, no way is Cynthia F. going to beat me today. And so I get up, put my shorts on, put my shoes on. I get out of my bed. I start walking the neighborhood. There's a Weston that's around the corner from our house. I walk over to the Weston. I start at the bottom floor. I walk up every single step, every single floor, front and back, all the way to the top, all the way back down. I get home, and I beat Cynthia F, 3,500 steps for the day. <laughs> I was all in. All in. You know, if you're going to accomplish anything in life, you just got to be all in. It's just, it's just the reality of the life that you and I live. 
Mark Batterson wrote a book entitled All In. It's a pretty good little book. And in there, he has the quote. He says that we are only one decision away from a totally different life. You're one decision away from a totally different life. The woman in our story made one decision. And because of that one decision, not only was her life changed, but tens of thousands, potentially millions of people have been impacted because she made one decision to be all in for God. What does sacrifice look like to you? What does it look like for you to be fully committed, 100% invested? If you are, are of Latino origin, if you are of Hispanic origin, if, say, habla español, you speak Spanish, and it's your native language, or it's your family's native language, or maybe you don't, like you're a typical American, although your parents learned it, you never quite learned it. But if you are of Hispanic origin, you have to thank this one guy. His name is Hernan Cortez. Because in 1519, Hernan Cortez, with about 600 other guys, flew the ocean, yeah, flew, sailed the ocean blue from Spain to Mexico. He landed with 11 boats and some chickens and all the stuff that they did. And, and they were there in the Gulf of Mexico, and they pushed off to shore in some smaller boats. And, and uh, he's on a mission. He's on a mission to conquest. Things were getting really difficult, and there were some battles and some challenges. And he gets a group of his guys say, you know what? We're not going to do this any longer. They try to take one of the boats to sell off to Cuba. They're going to commit mutiny. Cortez catches wind. He brings all of his captains together. He says, listen, this moment, I want you to go out into the harbor. I want you to get on all of our boats, and I want you to burn the ships. Everyone say, burn the ships. Guess what they did? They burn the ships. And today, all of Latin America speaks Spanish because Cortez, Hernan Cortez conquered, set out to accomplish the goal that, he, that he, he came here to accomplish, and that was to be a conquistador, a conqueror. He was all in. All in. You know, I, I, I think a lot about this in my life because my own heart struggles with it. My own heart struggles with being all in for God. I mean, there's some days that it's really easy, but there's some days that it's really hard. There's some days that there's other things that pull my affection, that pull my heart, that I have to say, no, I can't do that. I can't go that direction. I have to tell myself no. And that's not an easy thing. That's not an easy thing to tell yourself no when everything inside of you really wants to do it because you want to feel good for the moment. There's something about that temporary, momentary pleasure or feel that seems, at least in that moment, that that seems to be greater than the benefit of not saying no. So we all have to wrestle with this. We all have to wrestle with that decision to be all in. There's two particular areas of the Christian life. There's more than this, but there's two particular reoccurring areas of our life that we struggle with generally in being all in. The first one is our human sexuality. Our human, it's a bit in our culture today, it's a huge deal. You look at the top 20 websites that people go and visit around the world, and it's, very, it's a very telling and clear indication of what people's driving motivation is sexuality and finances, their money. These are the two areas that are the hardest for us to talk about in the church. Because most of the time, I'm here, here for, brand new for the very first time, you're like, oh my goodness. Very first time I go visit church here, and they're talking about 
money. And it's like the worst fear that people have because all the church wants is your money. But just, just hang with me just for a moment here. Hang with me just for a moment. Don't leave me yet. I believe there are two areas that if we submit to the Lordship of Christ and we get under his authority and control in our life and we learn to come up under his yoke, if we learn to submit to his burden and we get all in with God, we will experience a life that very few others experience. We will experience what Jesus said was the abundant life because he said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Come on, let's give God a great big hand this morning. It often surprises people who don't read the Bible to discover how much the Bible talks about money. Jesus actually said, like, you can't love money and love God. It's like you're going to have love. There's going to be one. One is going to crowd out. One is going to take dominion of your life. It surprises people how much Jesus talked about money. 15% of Jesus' preaching, 11 out of 39 of the parables that Jesus told had to do with money. Over 2,000 times in the scripture, the Bible talks about money, possessions, and giving. This is actually what Jesus said in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, about money. Jesus said, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? How can you be entrusted with true spiritual things if you don't understand the power and the blessing and the benefit and the potential curse of money? And so we look at this woman today. She's an amazing example. In Mark's gospel, chapter 12, you'll actually see two different times that Jesus talks about money. The first time, the religious people of Jesus' day, the pastors, they were called Pharisees. And these are good guys. I know they get a bad rap in history, especially in Christian history. They get a bad rap, but they really weren't bad guys. They, they tried to be good. They tried to obey all the laws. They had 613 Old Testament laws that they were committed to obeying, and then they added on a bunch of others in the Talmud. And, man, they were very religious people. They were very devout people. And Jesus was teaching like no one had ever taught before. Jesus was saying things with, that was shaking and rattling the environment and the culture of his generation. And thousands of people were attracted. Not only was Jesus saying things, but he was doing things with great power. And lives were being transformed. Lives were being transformed. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you know, Caesar's not our king. We only have one king, and it's Yahweh. It's God. It's the Father. Should we pay taxes to this wicked king? And Jesus immediately turns it, to, turns it back to them. And he, he says, hand me a coin whose is inscriptions on it. And they said, Caesar. And he says, render under Caesar or give to Caesar. Pay your taxes to Caesar that are due. And give unto God the things that belong to God. So in Mark's gospel, Jesus addresses the issue of money not one time, but two times. The second time Jesus uses this woman as an example as an illustration of someone who was all in for God. The first thing that I want you to see, first thing I want you to see in our text this morning is that Jesus watches us when we give. <laughs> I 
think, think about the environment. Now, you can Google map, you can Google it, and you can go under, or under images, and you can look like at the Jew, Jewish temple. This was Herod's temple. It took 40 years to build. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was actually one of the most beautiful edifices ever built in the ancient world. It was an amazing building. It was huge. It was massive. Even to this day, they can't figure how they laid the foundation stones. When you, take a, when you go to Israel... These foundation stones, I don't know, they weigh like 500 million tons. I mean, they're just, whatever they are, don't, don't quote me on the number. There, you know what I'm saying? They're just massive, right? And there's like not even a quarter of inch gap. Just amazing. They don't even know how they put those in place, how they even moved them to that spot. But they're up on the Temple Mount. It's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful edifice. And Jesus goes into the temple area. And they had these vessels. They were made of copper. They had these 13 vessels. And each one of the vessels was a place for people to bring their offerings. And they were labeled. They were labeled for different areas of service and ministry in the Jewish community. And so Jesus is sitting there watching people put their offering into the plate. Jesus cares about what we give. Jesus cares. Jesus cares because he knows that what's going on inside of here is a direct reflection of what's going on outside of here, outside over there. And so when Jesus sees this woman, what's really fascinating is that this woman, there was no expectation for her to give. She was a poor widow. Now, widows in ancient Israel, they didn't, have a, they didn't have a husband, obviously. If they had children, I mean, life would have been very, very, very difficult, very hard. If you look at widows in the Bible, almost every single time, there's 11 widows that are mentioned in the Bible, and they're always poor. They're always poor. And then you'll find this commendation about them. You never find widows being condemned by God. You always find them being committed, com commended. You, all, you, you hear these kinds of expression uh, in the psalmist. It says that God defends them. God protects them. God pr provides for them. God judges people who don't look out for them. You get into the New Testament, and the book of James says, pure religion, true religion, undefiled before God and man, unspotted. Pure religion is taking care of the needs of the widows and the orphan. Everyone say widows. Big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. The widows are a big deal to God. And, and there's no expectation. The law made provision that a widow didn't have to give. And that's what makes this woman so unusual. You know, they've, they've done these statistical studies. You can Google this, since we all Google it. Everyone say Google it. But you can Google it. You can, the largest percentage, people who give the largest percentage of their income, not the largest amount of money, but the largest percentage of their income are people who make $20,000 a year or less. That's amazing. It's an amazing stat. Why? Because, you know, I think because if you're making not even 20000 I mean, even in our, in our economy, you definitely understand you're in the bottom tier. But there's something, you're, you know, what else do I got to lose? And there's something about people who don't have many times, literally, at least in the eyes of God, are the most generous. They know what it is to be poor. They know what it is to lack. They're far less judgmental about why people are where they are in their life. Just far, they just are. And, and when God, when Jesus looks at this woman, Jesus doesn't look at the size of her gift. He looks at the sacrifice of her gift. 
And you got to hear this today. God is far more concerned. The size, yeah, if you make a lot, you should give a lot. But let me tell you today, it wasn't the size that impressed God. It was the sacrifice that she was willing to make and giving her all to God. She made a sacrifice. She knew this promise. I love this verse. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9. The Bible says, for the eyes of the Lord. For all the Bible college students out there, this is a great phrase to look up, eyes of the Lord. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth. The Bible, the eyes of the Lord go, go forth across the earth looking for people whose hearts are all in. Everyone say all in. Who are perfect, committed, completely sold out to him so that he can show his great power in helping them. Come on. God wants to show his great power in helping you. Because that's what we're saying. God, I'm all in. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you today. I was impacted by a, a small gift many years ago. It's part of the story of us ending up in this campus on this property. Our church was at 650 Airport Boulevard and and on a Wednesday night, we, we had small groups like we do now, but we used to kind of have like a little sing-along time, a little worship set before the small group session. And, and the young man that was on staff at the time, his name was Dave, and, and he was leading the worship, and he was talking about his experience that day. He said he, had, he was driving down the 417, and he came up to the toll booth. You know, that one going across Lake Jessup is like two bucks. And, he said, I, when I went to look for money, I realized I didn't have any money in my pocket. And so as I pulled up to the toll booth, I told the lady, hey, I'm sorry. I mean, I just spaced it out. I didn't realize I'm coming across here. And she said, hey, don't worry about it. She said, the car that just came in front of you, they paid your bill. And they left this little card for you. And the card just simply was Romans 5, 8. That Christ paid it all for you. He because he paid it all for you, I'm going to pay for you. He said it was just a simple little, little tiny card. There was no invitation to church. It was just a simple little scripture verse. How the Christ had paid it for him. And that there was something that happened that night inside of me. I realized that person, little small sacrifice, that little small gift, it was just a couple of bucks, but it spoke volumes in that moment. There was a sweet moment in our church at that, at that very time, a small little group, 40, 50 people. And I began to really realize that God was calling us to pay it forward in a greater way for the next generation. It was at that moment that I realized that our church really needed to move off of that campus. We needed more room, and we begin to pray and ask God to enlarge our tents, uh, to enlarge our tents, and to strengthen our stakes and to increase our border, because there were more people that God wanted us to touch with His love in this community and city. Small gifts have great impact inside the inside the heart and the life of the person that gives. Because God's power shows up and works through them. The rich also gave that day. This is complicated for us in our culture because rich, it's the other guy. The other guy is rich. Uh, the challenge with that is that most people in this room, by world standards, we are very rich. We got a roof over our head. 
You flush, just think about it. You go to the bathroom and you flush, that push that little lever, and it actually goes down. Woo! Come on. You ought to be shouting. Because I've been in many places in the world where that wasn't a guarantee. As a matter of fact, there are many places where there is nothing to flush and for it to go down. And you have to do things that you never could believe that you're doing and smell things that you never could believe that you smell. We are blessed. <laughs> you got a roof over your head. You got running water in the sink, a toilet that flushes, an automobile in the parking lot of your garage that has a little bit of gas, and food in your refrigerator. You're in the top 5% of people in the world who have wealth. And you just bump that up just a little bit to making 35000 If you make more than 35000 in a year, you're in the top 2% of the world's wealthy. We're rich. Everyone say, I'm rich. You are rich, whether you believe it or not. If you're not rich financially, you are rich spiritually. If you have Jesus in your life, come on. We're rich. So these rich people come, the expectation that they would give. Jesus didn't condemn them because they gave. Jesus never did that. As a matter of fact, Jesus commended them for their giving. What he condemned them for is the spirit and the attitude in which they gave. They gave as a pretense to show off their pomp. It was completely different culture. You know, we give online and nobody knows your give and nobody's checking your giving. Holy Spirit knows you. Jesus is watching you. Right, Jesus is watching however you have that worked out in your life. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, but however you have that worked out in giving back to God. But he's watching, he knows. But in this time, man, it was a big, I mean, it was a religious culture, a bunch of religious people. It was a big pomp and circumstance. They come in with their robes, they got these big coins, and when they hit that little copper, that little copper vessel, ding, everybody, oh, he gave a lot today. Ooh. <laughs> When I was a little boy, we, I remember the church that I went to. They used to have the, on the back wall behind the, where the preacher preached, they had the attendance. They had Sunday morning attendance, Sunday school attendance, and they always had the offering. Anybody else remember that? They had the offering, how much the offering was. My pastor was, me, my pastor was old school. I mean, they don't do this no more, and he'd probably go to jail for doing this, but... Well, you know, it was a different day, but what I remember was my boy, my pastor took all the church members. If you were a member of the church, he'd actually put all the members' tithing record out on the wall. <laughs> oh, man, we don't do that here. We don't do that, all right? I don't even look. I don't even know. It was just old school. The people, they used to do things. They used to get away with more back then. Jesus is watching. Second Tim, First Timothy chapter 6, Paul has to exhort people. People who don't consider themselves rich, but they are rich. He says, listen, listen, guys. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Man, it can fleet. Stock market this last couple of weeks all over the place. You're watching your 401ks and your IRAs and whatever you got up and down. You're like, oh, should I pull out? You're ready to call. I don't know. You know, what should I do? Right? I mean, you know, it can, I mean, just a couple years ago, 2008, that thing dropped. I mean, there were people that lost 50, 60% of their wealth almost overnight. It can make wings and fly away. Man, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Everyone say, be rich. 
be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Come on. Be willing to share. Second thing I want you to see is that Jesus calls us to learn from the example of others. Jesus calls us to learn from the example of others. Mark 12, 43, the Bible says Jesus calls the disciples to himself. He says, okay, and the very, Mark 12, 1, it actually says that Jesus sat down and began to tell them stories. Your life is a story. Your life is a story. Someday your kids will talk about your life and your story. If you're, if you're fortunate, it might go to two or three generations. For some people, it's just one generation. Your story, your life story is a story of what to do and what not to do. All of us. There are good things about our life. There are bad things about our life. But your story, your story, when it's surrendered to God, becomes his story. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put more into the treasury than all the others. This woman gave. Now, we don't know a lot about her. This is the only place she's mentioned here. The story is also mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. But there's no detail given about this widow's life. But I got to tell you, the fact that she was willing to give, there was no expectation for her to give, tells me something about her, that she loved God. She gave because she loved God. She gave because she loved God. You can give and not love God. There's a lot of really, there's a lot of people out there and we expect, don't, don't you expect Bill Gates to give? Come on, you go through the list of the Forbes 400 or 500 wealthiest people and you expect them. But you know what? God doesn't expect just them to give. God expects you to give. It's easy to expect the other guy to give. But here's what I've discovered in my life. There are people who give but don't love God. But if you truly love God, you will give. If you truly love God, you will live your life to give. It'll be a natural byproduct. Because listen, God was the greatest giver that's ever, he is the greatest giver that's ever existed. The Bible says that he gave us his best when he gave his son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. God gave his best. All You'll see it. God, over and over, God gives us his Holy Spirit. You're a believer today. God gave you the greatest gift of your life. That's a new life, new birth. He lives inside of you. He gave that to you. He gave his spirit to you. God's given you peace today. In the midst of the storm and terrible circumstances, God gives you peace. God gives you just the sense you're in relationship with him, right relationship. This woman loved God. She loved God. She also loved the house of God. She loved the house of God. You know, she really learned, she really learned who the father was. You know, in the Old Testament, you can read the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and even in Exodus, you can see God's protection and provision, all the ways that he supplied for his people. And in Deuteronomy, there's all these, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. Well, God was teaching them. God was teaching them. He was their source. 
And what happens in our life, some of us, maybe we grew up in really poor families. And we had you know, parents that didn't do very well at providing. It was always lack. It was always difficult. We never had enough. We can't afford to do that. We heard that phrase. We can't afford to do that. You can't, can't afford to do that. So it's hard for us to trust God. It's hard for us to really trust that we have a good father that will meet and supply all of our needs. I was 10 years of age, and I mean, in my house, my, you know, it was just complicated. It was very complicated. My dad's relationship with God was complicated. He was up and down. Anyway, I, I love my dad, but just it was complicated. And their marriage, it ended in divorce, and just a lot of stuff was happening. And, and I was so angry. I was getting very angry and embittered at my dad. And, and there was this one particular week at the age of 10, we had nothing. We had nothing in the cupboards. My mom had no food. And we were eating beans. We didn't do food stamps. I didn't even know food stamps existed. Maybe my mom did, but we didn't do food stamps. None of that it just wasn't common in our culture then. And I remember this one week, every single day, it was beans for lunch, beans for dinner. A little oatmeal for breakfast, beans for lunch, beans for dinner. By the fourth day, I was getting very, very angry, very upset inside. And I was blaming my dad, and I was blaming God. I was mad at God. My dad came home this night, and he was having dinner with family, and I was sitting, and as soon as my dad sat down, and they prayed, my mom served the beans again, I actually pushed the bowl away, I got up, and I walked into my bedroom, and I was bawling, and I was crying, I'm like, oh, I was so mad, I can't, why? And I, I experienced my first miracle in that moment. I experienced my very first miracle. I was laying on my bed, and I was like, God, you know, God, this isn't fair. God, you, you, you said that I can ask you and you'll give to me. God, I'm asking for food for my family. Literally, no, no sooner than I said those words that I asked God for food for our family, there was a knock on the door. And this guy, who's my uncle by marriage, got his arms loaded with groceries. And come on, and he comes walking in and he hands these groceries to my family. My first miracle. And what I knew in that moment that there really was a God who heard. And the God, there is a God who is our Father who really cares. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to thousands of people sitting on a hillside on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, You know, it's like this, guys. This is how good your Father is. Everyone say, Good Father. You have a good Father today. You have a good Dad today. He really cares today. It's like this. He said, you know, you see that lily out there that's spinning around? When that lily gives up and it's at its end, your father knows. You see that little, bear, that little bird that's flying, that little sparrow that's flying overhead when the sparrow falls to the ground? The, spar the, the father hears, the father knows, and the father cares. And then he said this word, how much more valuable are you? How much more valuable are you to God? This woman, she learned. She learned that God loved her. She knew she was willing to sacrificially give because she knew that God was her source. God was her source. You have a choice today. You can live with a scarcity mindset. It's not going to be enough. You're not sure how it's going to work. Or you're going to step out. You say, God, I'm going to trust that you are good. You're going to have an abundance mindset. You're going to believe in a good father who gives good gifts, who will supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. You say, God, I choose to live open-handed. 
I choose to do good. I choose to share. Choose to love you. Express my love through generosity towards other people. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 6. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And this is what I've discovered about God. If God can get it through you, he can give it to you. If God can give it through you so that you can be a blessing, so you can fulfill the mandate that God has called you to in your life, to be a blessing to the nations, if God can do that, he'll get it to you today. God, 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 God cares. He's a good father, and he gives good gifts. The last thing that I want you to see is that Jesus commends her sacrifice. In verse number 43, the Bible says, This poor widow has put more into the temple treasury, but she, out of her poverty, put everything, all. She was all in. She gave out of her lack. She gave out of her poverty. She had nothing to lose. It's like the church at Corinth. Paul the apostle writes to the church at Corinth, and and he's admonishing. He's so blown away by this church. This church really is in, in their own struggle, their own financial problems. They, they, they live in a culture that's got lack and famine. He said, listen, now, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done to the churches of Macedonia, it's unbelievable. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in this gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Next verse. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to God first. And then to us, just, just as God wanted. They were all in. They gave their life first to God. I mean, in their own lack, in their own trial, in their own famine, because their hearts had been changed. They gave themselves first to God. And out of the overflow of that love for God, they desired to meet the needs of other people. Again, it wasn't the size of the gift. It was the sacrifice of the gift. They were all in. They were all in for God's house. They were all in for God's people. They were all in. I, my story, everyone's got a story, but my story, complicated, high school complicated, early young man complicated. I gave my life to Christ at around 21, 22. I found myself with strong desire to do something for God, and I didn't know what that was. And I was working, and, and so I went to Bible college. And I remember I landed in Portland, Oregon. I'd never been to Portland in my life before, and I was attending this church. And the church had a building campaign going on. And, and I, I'm so grateful for the local church. I'm, I believe the local church is the hope of the world. 
Government shall come and government shall go. Kingdoms shall come and kingdoms shall go. But the church of Jesus Christ will march on forever and ever and ever. Come on, and I can go to Italy, I can go to Spain, I can go to Africa, I can go to China, I can go to Cuba. Come on, I can go to Latin America, to Brazil. And you know what? It doesn't matter the governmental system or who's the president or the king or the dictator. I know that in every community, in almost every city, in every nation of the world, there's a group of people that I can call my brother, that I can call my sister, regardless of their race, regardless of their language, regardless of their tongue, regardless of their economic background, regardless this other political affiliation I can call them my brother and sister because they are part of the church the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and I was so grateful I had gotten radically saved I was set into this church and I was so thankful I didn't even know this church but I wanted to see this church I wanted to do anything that I could and I'm in school I literally have, don't have a job got a car. I'm not even sure I'm going to put gas in the car to get home that day. And they're receiving an offering for a new building. And I'm like struggling because I got nothing to give. But I had a ring on this finger. It was the most valuable thing. It was, I, I'd saved for it. And, and, and a couple of years before, the, there was a gym and mineral show in my town and I bought this ring. had a little diamond in it. And for me, it was the most expensive thing that I owned. It was the most valuable thing to me. I remember I was sitting in that service and I was like, oh, should I give it? And I was like, just, and I said, well, why not? I just, I had to do something. I couldn't leave there empty. I couldn't leave there not giving. And so I slipped that ring off and I, I put it in the bucket and I gave everything. And that, for me at that time, I gave it all to God. I didn't think much about it. The next day, the, the guy that was the business administrator of the church, he was a friend of mine and we were talking and I was just kind of curious how the offering went that day and and I remember, you know, we were talking, and, and he said, oh, I was pretty good. And he was, and he said, you know, and, and, and just kind of in passing and laughing, and someone even threw in just a little tiny ring. I remember kind of feeling the sting, like, like that gift to him was insignificant, you know. It was just kind of a small little thing. Probably if you sold that ring, you couldn't even put a window in that new building. But for me, that sacrifice was all that I had. And what God saw in that moment, something spurred in my life. In my whole Christian life, I've had one goal, and that was to give more. To give more of my time, to give more of my resources, to help more people, to help my family, to help my friends, to help this community, to help this local church advance the gospel, to see buildings built so that children can hear the wonderful name of Jesus. Come on, and develop a foundation for lifelong learning spiritually, naturally, educationally, in every way of their life. Today, God's asking us, are we all in? Are we all in? See, the moment you say, God, I'm all in, immediately what you see is God's power start to work in your life. You no longer worry about your finances. You no longer worry about, even when you're in times of lack, and we've had lots of times where it didn't seem to be enough. But I can stand on the promises of God that are yes and amen to them that believe. And Paul the Apostle, he wrote to the church at Philippi. He said, listen, guys, because of your giving, because of your sacrificial giving to meet the needs so that this ministry can go forward. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Today, God 
His promise and his power is with those who are saying, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm giving my life away. I'm giving my life away. I'm putting you first with my money. I want you to close your eyes.